Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Trauma and Healing Podcast. I'm your host, Claude McGrath, and I am thrilled to share with you another insightful episode. This week's episode is a special throwback to 2022, to a time before this podcast was even born. Back then, I was having rich conversations over on Instagram Live, and it was through these conversations that sparked the idea for the podcast. Among those early conversations, I had the good fortune to record a compelling discussion with the deeply insightful Orlo Sullivan over Zoom, and today I get to share that with you. In this conversation, we revisit pearls of wisdom, thought-provoking insights that remain as relevant today and as stirring as when we first spoke in 2022. As you listen, I hope Orla's words strike a chord with you. If they do, please do take a moment to like and follow the Trauma and Healing podcast. Your support enables us to spread these critical conversations further and help others that may need it. Enjoy the episode and do take care. Thank you very much for coming in to talk to me today. So we're going to be talking about all things mindfulness, all things happiness, and how that helps what you the work that you do and how that comes into trauma. So welcome. Thank you so much, Coda. Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a joy to explore this together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? How did you become an ordained member of Thich Nhat Hanh's Order of Interbeing? What led you to being ordained? Did you train with him? You know, how did that come about? Yeah, so I have, I think I've always been interested since I was a child. I was interested in kind of living a life that was awake. Um, Mm -hmm. And I started, I remember my mum had a yoga book and at the back of the book, there was some breathing exercises. And as Mm -hmm. a child, I tried them and I was like, that works, that I noticed the difference in my body after I did them. So I used to, you know, started doing meditation. My dad was sick when I was a teenager and died. So, you know, we had several years of illness in the house and I found meditation practice really helpful. And I remember the Dalai Lama had brought out a book called The Art of Happiness. Uh, So there were kind of different, you know, we read Khalil Gibran in our family, was treasured. So there were lots of kind of different flavors of wisdom. And then when I was in my 20s, I picked up a book by Thich Nhat Hanh and read the first line and thought, oh, I've come home. That makes perfect sense to me. And then I practiced, so I practiced mindfulness and it's called the Plum Village tradition quite diligently from them. And first, as most of us do, we kind of come to it for ourselves, for our own individual needs and wants and then it grew into much more of a community-based approach that actually Mm. practicing mindfulness in circle with other humans was where i noticed the like very powerful healing and transformation could take place so the order of interbeing is something that is a space to support people who want to build circles like to build sangha to help groups of people to practice together on the path. So a lot of people, when they when they first encounter the practice might receive the five mindfulness trainings. And they're kind okay. of like, it's like a little constellation of stars on okay. um, to explore living a happy ethical life. And then the 14 is kind of living a life where you can really be of service to others. So there was, okay. yeah, lots of opportunity to practice with Thich Nhat Hanh's community. And he yeah. offered us so many teachings when he was alive. Yeah. And, and beyond yeah yeah I mean it sounds so full it sounds so enriching you know you, like even just the curiosity you have as a kid that afforded you going actually that worked what's that about you know uh, the, and, and that piece where you're saying you know everybody comes to it for themselves I remember I did my first 
kind of introduction to it was a, a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, eight week. And I remember doing the body scan and being utterly amazed by how much pain my body was in. I was just not connected to it. And that was my introduction to going, okay, hold on, what's going on here? How do I not know this? And it started a wonderful journey on with mindfulness and my, my relationship with myself then. But one of the things that I absolutely love and adore now is those group circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not quite meditation, but it is. it was meditative, of course, but I did a cacao healing ceremony. Mm-hmm. And just the presence of other people in those circles was just, I, I find the energy just amazing. So going from going from healing yourself and getting then getting into connection with others, just fantastic. And it sounds yeah. like that's where you're really focusing on that on education in the yeah. community. Yeah. And that it's kind of an immediately kind of practical approach you know it's not an intellectual approach where you're trying to learn some things off or intellectually understand them as you say you kind of come home to your body and you realize something you go look there is pain there is pain that I have not been present for so yeah yeah, that's my next step yeah Yeah. how do I meet myself yeah Um, okay so what then has your what has been your biggest or what has been your best lesson that you've learned in your personal practice that you might not have otherwise learned had you not gone on this mindfulness journey not a small question there are a few (laughs) but (laughs) I think I think probably the most freeing one for me was that I don't need to wait to be happy okay you know that I think as humans often we make ourselves wait we're kind of a little bit conditional when this happens then i'll be happy or when this is no longer present then i'll be happy and you know in this practice there's a lot about just coming back to this moment to sense the goodness that's here which tends to be more than good enough like completely imperfect always but more than good enough so for me that's that's taken away the waiting attitude and which is amazing yeah and I suppose that that brings me nicely onto the next question then and that is how do we make happiness a habit oh how do we make happiness a habit because it is possible so I think I think it's about practice I think you know there are, we know scientists used to research like everyone who murders and you know they used to research like really dysfunctional things and about yeah. 20 years ago they were like why don't more people murder? Because like very few people murder. and But life is yeah, really yeah. annoying and disappointing and upsetting. So they started to question like, what is it that stops us from, you know, completely losing it in society? What are yeah. the things that help us to live happily? So I love this research that's been done about these different, you know, the things that people who have a high happiness set point have in common and the mm-hmm. abilities that they have. So for me, like I love that you know, I can meet a human being and they might go, I'm just not a grateful person. Like I'm just, I just, that's not who I am. And actually with our approach, we, we see things as much more organic so that your your little seed of gratitude might have been malnourished for, I don't know, 80 or 200 years. Like Mm -hmm. it just might be very deep in the soil and really malnourished. So what, like our job is just to nourish these wholesome seeds that are in us and they kind of manifest in their own time. So with, with practice, for example, like we could do, you know, we could take a breath and feel maybe like a tiny bit of peace in our body. 
And we know mm. that the way neurologically it works is that at first it becomes an experience. And then if mm -hmm. we do it a few more times, it becomes a familiar experience. And then it yeah. becomes a habit. And finally, it becomes a trait, like the ability to come home and feel peace is really natural to us because we've done it yeah. over and over and over. So one is about practicing to develop the good, wholesome things. And then we also need to take care of everything that gets in the way of our happiness. <laughs> like, what is- And we have to be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is it that is an obstacle to my happiness right now in this moment? So sometimes there's a physical thing, we might go, it's too hot, it's too cold. There's a noise that I dislike. But more often, it is the quality of our thoughts that we're thinking. Thinking it. about it, yeah. I've yeah. just put a thought on that. I've just put a judgment on that rather than actually it just is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we figure out our obstacles and help to dissolve them a little bit and then we grow yeah. the good stuff. And the result is happiness on an average in an average moment is much more possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Uh, when I when I started, you know, the, the bell would be wrong at the start of a, uh, a session. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I'd be like, yay, the uh, like coming to the end of it, it would ring again. I'd be like, oh, thank God that's over. Like, and now when I hear the bell, all I do is oh, I go straight into relaxation. This, I'm like Pavlov's dog. I'm like, yep, I've, I can relax now. And so it's great. I have those on my phone on apps or anything like that. And just to remind myself, I have them at home as well, the, the bowls that I can do. But it's quite amazing. You know, I, I would often talk with clients about, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. Absolutely. And what we're talking about is creating new habits or undoing old habits. And we have to build those systems within our brain. The neuroscience says that you will build those neurons. It will get stronger and stronger. I talk about building cities. You have a good city built in your brain with, you know, the roads are well paved and just high rise buildings. And at the moment, you're building a dirt road. But soon it will be paved and soon you'll start putting nice little houses. But you get to build a city, not just a city that was, you know, through experience, that not really through awareness or awake um, yeah. that you have built. So I, I love that. Yeah. The, the, the uh, well-built road is just easier to travel along for a while. So even though like, you'll go I, down. I, yeah, yeah. That I imagine it was like being in a country field going and just choosing to walk across this field going, eventually it'll become a bike path and then there'll be more vehicles. But it's always going to be like the motorway is my go to reaction for a while. So like we need this times. kindness. Yeah, built in. Yeah, meet yourself at the moment going, I'm on the highway. It's all right, turn around. That's all it is. Just <laughs> turn around and go back the way you wanted to go. There's no problem going into the city. Sometimes you're going to need to go into the city because it has to go that way. That's yeah. absolutely fine. But again, that compassion and kindness to go, that's what I needed in that moment. That's okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So then oh, not everyone will get, get ordained. So <laughs> what are the simple ways people can bring mindfulness into their lives? Yeah. So, so mindfulness is, is simply an energy. You know, mindfulness is an energy of kind of this kind awakeness and being present. So it's always mindfulness of something. So yeah. where I, what I normally recommend is to start where you're naturally present. You mm -hmm. know, and for some of us that might be, actually, I love my cup of tea in the morning and I watch the birds at the bird feeder for two minutes or I go out for a walk at lunchtime or, you know, we have moments where we're naturally in our bodies mm -hmm. and we're really, we do show up 
for that moment of our life. So to find where that moment is, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it's at the beginning of eating. Most of us can taste the first bite of our food and then we lose interest in it. We just suddenly, yeah, on autopilot. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. But like even that first bite, you know, commit to really tasting the first sip of your coffee. So it's wherever we're naturally present. The easiest way is to pour ourselves in there and then to kind of let it kind of come into high definition to give ourselves more time because because your brain will scan instantly and go, yeah, I've woken up. I know this moment and we'll then like lose interest. But if you kind of go, let's just stay for a minute. Let's sense like the warmth of the duvet, my cheek against the pillow, the air of the room against my other cheek like sensing down, how does it feel this morning to have woken up? Yeah. You know, and we how am I doing? Exactly, yeah. So that we, we, we listen more to our body than our intellectual mind. Yeah, to, body so, never lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so then, and then that just tends to grow where then we're kind of really present for like maybe two or three moments in our mm-hmm. life. And, and then the, those dots tend to join up then during the day. So we kind of aerate our day with little pockets of mindfulness and goodness. Yeah. I remember learning about, you know, the breath being the anchor. And um, I was like, yeah, but I breathe all the time. Again, my brain was like getting in my way the whole time. It was so funny. Like, and still does. But uh, like that, I, you know, you just run on aut- autopilot, just doing everything you need to get done. And you're at the end of the day and you're like, what did I do today? I, have, I actually wasn't present for most of it. I don't know. But when I learned that the breath is the anchor, uh, every now and then I'd just click in going, oh, I'm breathing. OK, pay attention to just this breath. And I'd come back. Yeah. And that became the habit of going, oh, if I notice a couple of times a day that I'm breathing and it just it added pockets of calm. And, mm. um, you know, the, I, I talk about the speedometer of your life. You know, we have a stress point that we are just naturally running at because life is happening. We have bills, we have this, we have that. And, you know, somebody's shouting, at us, you know, a deadline for this. And stuff that's happened in our life has raised a set point. But we can press the brake. Mm. How many times a day do we press the brake? How many times a day are we taking the time to make a coffee? How many times a day am I just breathing for? You know, 15 seconds, if that's all it takes, if that's all I can take, checking in for that. And it's about pressing the brake in our nervous system and allowing that calm to be there rather than just going, well, I can't do it. If you can't take 15 seconds for yourself, we need to have a longer chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah. And it does. It's like we kind of get entangled between like the past, thoughts about the future. You know, we run through the day as though we're being chased. And yeah. so, as you say, like this breath can be, it's such a powerful bridge, one between our body and our mind, because it involves yeah. both and it unclips all the other timelines. So we stop time traveling. And so we can really come into this present moment, like just for a moment of like one breath of kindness or soothing or friendship, you know, so that you can, you can let yourself be a human being like not a human doing a human just being like just for one breath that's not nothing Mm. no no it's not it really isn't and yeah powerful okay so you work with individuals and families (laughs) and so when working with families as a whole do you see a, a difference from working individually and so what I'm talking about here is that intergenerational trauma how can we have an unconscious inheritance of trauma being played out in our families? So 
what the work that you do how does that do you see that how does that play out yeah so so i, I think i love this question because it happens anyway in circles like even circles of grown-ups but especially with a family who are related to each other and who live together and they are known and know each other well you know it plays out in so many ways so the power of having a family kind of learning to awaken to sense what they're feeling and to share that with the kindness that's possible in that moment yeah. it's so powerful like so children children don't do what you say <laughs> like they do what you do and like that's the fundamental reason to practice with yeah. your kids like they don't do what you say so yeah. if you can show up and you know learn to explore your frustration your perfectionism your anger your worry like and just do that kind of kind of publicly with them like even yeah. if coloring in the corner like they take everything in so one is you model an extraordinary way of living for life for these kids mm -hmm. And also as a family then together, we're developing these abilities, right? We're like, we're learning how to sense our body, maybe mm -hmm. for the first time, how to notice moments when we're safe, you know? So, cause most of us, yeah. we only think about safety when we think I'm not safe. <laughs> yeah. When actually, so deliberately learning to notice like this is such a safe moment. We're sheltered, stormy outside and I'm so protected. There are no yeah. emotional threats right now. This is a very supportive environment and to let my body feel how it feels to be safe so as a yeah. family we, you know we learn these things together and we learn how to listen to each other how to notice our own autopilot reactions and then take care of them and and so the magic that happens as a family because you're well known is that then everyone can suddenly see the matrix code like everyone gets to see the patterns yes. that's, that's going on and like so often, you know, I'll work with a family and maybe there'll be one child who has a problem with anxiety and mm -hmm. often a family choose to do a course. They're the symptom of the family. Exactly. And, you know, I feel that anxiety because they feel, well, actually, what we need to do is fix, you know, John's anxiety. Over there. Yeah. John's not the problem and his anxiety is not the problem. The ecosystem has yeah. allowed that anxiety to grow. So by taking care of the ecosystem under which all these seeds are growing, then we can care for each other. And what tends to happen is that there's a, so yes, John is much easier taking care of his anxiety, but actually the, the things that touch his anxiety as a family, mm -hmm. the things he worries about, you know, these kind of silent festering thoughts that we have actually transform the family dynamic. Like I remember with one family, there were both parents were like really hardworking, really diligent, but they pushed themselves a lot. They did not mm -hmm. prioritize self-care. So of course the kids, you know, felt that they should always be doing something. And, and I remember the mother saying she came in and she was like, oh, I'll get the dinner on. And the, the problem child was like, mom, why don't you just go upstairs and do deep relaxation for 10 minutes or 20 minutes? <laughs> she was like, wow. You know, so we call each other on it when we see that we're yeah. stuck in autopilot behavior. But the, so, the kid knew where the mom oh, yeah. was. And they I wanted knew. to mind her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the kids are our best, like they have made a career by age five. We've made a career out of being able to sense what kind of mood our parents are in or yes. any mood have grown up in our life. So like they're extraordinary barometers of being able to sense what we're feeling. So, so as a family, then when everyone is doing this kind of work according to their abilities, so if I'm four, mm -hmm. I might talk about, I feel rainy, I feel sunny, I feel stormy. 
you know, that's what makes sense to it. Or if I'm 15, maybe, you know, maybe there's a family book that we get to write in so that we don't even have to like have someone looking at us when we're speaking. Maybe I can just write down, this is the kind of day I'm having back off <laughs> just butt out i um, need five minutes there yeah so that we create this loving community where he, where one we get to be who we are and we feel that there's nothing inherently wrong with us and you know that we just learn how to support each other so yeah magic happens with families yeah no i i, I first met you again through inside matters as i seem to meet all of my yeah we're, we're, we're not a cult I swear uh, <laughs> but you have you were teaching strengths-based practices yeah. and I actually had a question on that and I, I don't think I asked that well it's the next question but um you were talking about you know the the work that you were doing and you were talking about the transformation that can happen within a family and I think you know as individuals uh, I actually it was on Instagram actually I think it was last night or today but it was like a lot of people go to therapy because the people in their lives won't go to therapy so this collective family approach where everybody gets to heal everybody gets to show up and be exactly as they need to be and be met in that moment because that's where transformation happens that's where if I feel like I'm okay in this moment I can go further I can grow I can expand or I can I can contract if I need to in order to go forward again you know fantastic work so on that what are mindfulness-based strengths Mindfulness-based strengths practices. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk this morning either. (laughs) Yeah, in Ireland, when I teach the course, I just call it Strengths to Thrive, which sounds easy to me. But it is. So basically, it blends mindfulness with with recognising and growing where we're naturally at our best. So when I talked about like about 20 years ago, like researchers got interested in like, why don't people kill? Why why is anyone happy? And they started to to map out, you know, what is it the humans value in humans? And they did a lot of work. So the VIA Institute of Character was developed to further the research of what was identified as 24 character strengths that all cultures and all histories had in common. So there were there were some strengths that not everyone shared, so they weren't included. So these are 24 strengths that, you know, an average human mm-hmm. uh, in an average culture would value and some of them you know we might know is like love or gratitude or teamwork in a sense of being part of a community and then some are like humor appreciation beauty and excellence and the importance of hope so anyway there are 24 we all have them and there are energies that come up in us and some of uh, for each of us we'll have a few of these energies that are just super natural to us that they come up effortlessly that they're like just bright as a button always ready to go and there there are signature strengths so mm-hmm. noticing what these strengths are and then how to kind of work with our signature strengths how to kind of boost our middle strengths and how mm-hmm. to awaken the strengths that are sleeping so okay you know a, a phasic strength might be for me it might be something like bravery you know, I don't need to be courageous every day. Um, mm-hmm. I need to know how to awaken my strength of courage when I need it, when I go, this is the moment, Orla. I need you to like face up to this moment and don't run away. And, and the wonderful thing about this practice is that most interventions start with a problem. 
So, you know, we go to therapy, as you said, like the cognitive therapy version, because we feel that there's something is languishing, that there's a lack, that there's something that's getting in the way of our happiness. And, and the strengths practice just starts with us at our best. So actually the wider context, it might be really difficult. But we're starting with the very best parts of us where we just shine and that's where we begin. And so it has this, the the research on it has, it's kind of twofold. One is that we are able to meet challenges in our life more effectively. Mm -hmm. So it does make difficult moments a little bit less difficult because we feel more Mm -hmm. resourced. But the other part is that it makes a good moment even better because we are more able to enjoy the the moment of goodness in our life. So it kind of raises our whole like life experiences, just kind of comes up a little bit. So I love strengths practice. Not a small thing at all there, is it? At all, it kind of raises our vibration all over and starts with the best. Yeah, I love that. That's really And and you then look with other people through like strengths goggles. So like, oh, how yeah. is it oh I see you. Yeah. Just to notice the very best parts of them. Like, that's amazing. And, you know, yeah. so it was with the way it plays out with like, you know, a teacher and a student or a parent and a child is that, you know, when when the grown up has decided they want to do something and the child is off pretending to be a, a T-Rex, you know, instead <laughs> of just going, I wish you would be more obedient. You can go like you can take a moment to go. What extraordinary creativity, like how amazing to go and be a dinosaur that hasn't lived for, I don't know, 7 million, some time in it, you know, and you get a moment to, to appreciate them just as they are. And then you kind of come out of reactivity into genuine appreciation. And then you choose your next step. God, you meet that moment so differently there, don't you? So different. Everyone becomes like transformed to see people at their best. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Really transformed. I love it. I absolutely love that. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, okay, so then uh, does trauma show up in the work? I imagine through what you do, you know, there's a lot of people bringing a lot of stuff with them. Everybody does. So uh, if it does show up, how would you work with it? Yeah, yeah, and it does, of course. You know, most human beings have a sense of something that might have been stuck, energy that might have been mm-hmm. stuck at some point. And, and for me also, sometimes we meet it on a community basis. I remember some mm. years back, we had a retreat for the Vietnamese community in Ireland and most of whom came to Ireland, like through just appalling circumstances. So, you know, practicing together, we kind of only began this work on day three. So we had two days of enjoying food together and eating and singing. And, and then on day three, we like sat in a circle to share and the, the grief and trauma and energy that was released that day is extraordinary. So yeah, so we, so I do, I work, you know, I work with many people who have like their moments of stuckness or like sudden looming is how, you know, a lot yeah. of us sense it, that there's just something that's too big to be dealt with. And I guess in with this mindfulness practice, like we're walking a path for our whole life. So one is really important to not treat ourselves as a self-help project so it's never yeah. about trying to hack something there's no shortcuts like it's about meeting ourselves just where we are and what we want to do is to cultivate like a mind of love a heart of love and clarity so that we can live ethical happy lives and mm-hmm. and so it's okay for us to be grievously wounded like it's okay mm-hmm. for us to be stuck or lost because this practice meets us just where we are 
you know, and I'm thinking at the moment of, there was one retreat on the West coast of America years ago, and I was listening to a stream of it. And so Thich Nhat Hanh was, you know, speaking to a group of people and they, there kept being helicopter sounds that were moving across the building because there were wildfires going on as it turned out, but there would be this like deathly silence as the helicopter was moving. And I was like, usually he's not so interested in sound recording quality, like, you know, but it was actually because the sound of a helicopter meant something very different to a Vietnamese person. Who sure, of course. In war in Vietnam. Of course. So this sound was moving and there were so many bodies in the room who were being triggered by the sound. And so he, he began to talk about the sound of the helicopter and what we, what might be our felt associations with it. You know, and, you know, there was this sharing from a, a grown man who, when he was a boy, remembered like a wet, his grandmother putting a wet face cloth over his mouth to try and get out of their home, which was being bombed. And the sound is there. Yes. So, so what Thich Nhat Hanh did was, you know, led people in this very gentle helicopter meditation, like literally where you imagine the forest on fire, humans in danger, mammals in danger, trees that were like i don't know 900 years old and that this helicopter was bringing something that could soothe and relieve the flames and help protect life and it just meant something entirely different yeah changes the relationship wow. so that's not possible for everyone but like you know what yeah. we do is we meet ourselves where we are so if that's not possible you keep your eyes open you wiggle your toes you look for a beautiful color to explore you know that you stay in the room check the play. safety with the safety yeah yeah my god the 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 work i i don't know whether i'd be able to meet that moment if i was so triggered in that but the work obviously that he was able to do in his lifetime and i mean he was a great teacher he was fantastic anybody anybody uh, that's listening check check his work out he's a global spiritual leader and I remember actually I was in like physical rehab for pain. I had fibromyalgia and just got to a really bad pitch and I needed help. And I remember reading The Miracle of Mindfulness, I think, when I was in there. And my God, it was like, you know, nectar at that time. It was exactly what I needed. And it's so simple language. You know, there's no, you don't have to, you don't have to have a PhD to do this stuff. Absolutely not. So yeah, so worth checking it out. But that's uh, talk about meeting it in the moment. That's yeah. fantastic. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. That's wonderful. And uh, but mindfulness, I think, does have so much to offer for for trauma work. And I know a lot of people give it a lot of grief. And I mean, you have to be careful as well because it can be quite triggering to go into the body if you're traumatized so i mean there's another piece of meeting yourself where you're at maybe that's not where you start maybe it is just having the morning coffee and that's all i can do that is okay that's where you need to be that's how you can meet yourself and be kind to yourself going okay it's really hard right now this is how hard it is and beating myself up because i can't you know do mindfulness for five minutes or even a minute that's okay yeah okay so the, oh yeah, the next question was, can mindfulness practice offer preventative and protective factors against trauma? So, I mean, that's what we're talking about, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I love that you gave the caveat of like to have care about, like it is not a one size fits all no. thing. It's effective Some with some humans, they will always need like a form of talk therapy or medication or like some other interventions as well. 
but but we know that like we could have both the same experience and have two entirely different reactions that I'm it might get stuck in me and you might think whoa that was a close call I'll put on the kettle you know and as humans we just we are so uniquely individual and so mindfulness practice I think helps us in a few ways it so it can reconnect us at a safe pace with our body yeah uh, so we can begin to reawaken bits that we've cut off from in our body and, and I you know I really emphasize the at a safe pace and sometimes yeah. even like I work a lot with people who have asthma so you know you know I don't go why don't you come back to your breath and stare at your breath for because they're going like am I getting in I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm getting enough oxygen it's telling me I'm not okay that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm noticing yeah. yeah so you know so when when resting on the breath isn't comfortable we can rest on sound and we literally like bathe in sound from the very closest sounds to just widening and widening and widening so they're always uh, it doesn't really matter the what we're doing what matters is is that we're cultivating our ability to rest our attention without being pulled or hooked by our thinking and by these other timelines in the past and the future and mindfulness helps us deliberately grow the good stuff we know that where we rest our attention over and over becomes habitual so we so we train ourselves as you said with Thich Nhat Hanh and the helicopter like he had developed his ability to hold space for suffering so he had cultivated his heart so that it was a little bit bigger than the amount of suffering he was feeling and in that little bit biggerness like magic is possible in terms of being able to hold yeah. space for our suffering or for someone else's suffering and and the thing about practicing in a circle is that you just need to get yourself into the circle you need no abilities <laughs> like you you need to drag your weary heart in there and go this is me i have nothing to offer today <laughs> and that's fine because that the is such an comes. offering in itself absolutely yeah and that the healing comes from being together walking a path together you know it's not about comparing ourselves that someone is better or worse than us it's that you know the healing comes from a much more in mindfulness we call it store consciousness so it's like mm -hmm. you know all our potentials and capacities all of these different seeds are being nourished by simply being present for that moment of our life um okay. so we kind of ramp up our capacity to be just who we are and so yeah so it has i think a buffering effect it gives us more spaciousness when we face moments that could become traumatizing moments that we actually have this built-in caring energy that yeah. doesn't leave us on our own and that's one of yeah. the reasons why trauma gets stuck right is that we're on our own we've no agency there's no control yeah. And so having a friend during those really dark moments, having a voice inside that's like, I am here with you and I really care about the suffering. Yeah. 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 It's so important. I, I think, you know, one of the biggest shifts for me was, you know, there's, you know, thoughts come up all the time and memories come up all the time. And you may feel, uh, you know, you can give out to yourself, why am I thinking that? I shouldn't be thinking this. And, you know, I'm awful for doing, I'm awful for thinking, I'm awful for feeling. And I remember another meditation and, and it was like, can you meet that with love? Because that's what it needs. It doesn't need more hate. It doesn't need more scorn. It doesn't need more. Yeah. It needs you to love that moment and love that going, I'm so sorry. I, I, I love you. It's okay. And that for me of going, I need more love. And that's for everybody. 
that's not a that's not only a few of us get that everybody in this planet and every being needs more love and that's how we can grow and expand and that for me again was transformational for my own relationship with myself and also meeting others maybe really pissed off at what somebody is doing and that moment of going can I love them in this moment regardless of what they're doing and that transforms my presence with them and I, I just love what that's done for me. And again, that was through mindfulness. I don't think I've learned that anywhere else. I've met that uh, in, in such a field. It's um, so beautiful. So, yeah. And it does, it's like your presence transforms everything else then around you. So yeah, that kind of love without, think of it as like like medicine sans frontier, love sans frontier, not without good boundaries, but, but yes, yeah, unconditional yeah. of loving, not because it's deserved or anything, but loving just to love, caring just to care because it's really yeah. hard to be a human being right why would we not it's tough. offer yeah. our care yeah mm. so I, I think I know the answer to this question is that do you believe it's possible to heal from trauma yes I do <laughs> yes I do I think we have an extraordinary capacity to heal and and we see other mammals do it like mm-hmm. other mammals either don't catch trauma because they let it move or Mm. they can heal from it and i do i think there's a few things about the human mind that you know catch us up we have a a, an unusual ability as a mammal to to replay the past like quite addictively and we can also imagine things that haven't happened so we can imagine disastrous futures which you know my body believes every single thing that i think my body's always listening and it believes everything so i do think we need to be we need to have a lot of care of the thoughts that we're thinking regularly because mm. that becomes kind of the emotional tone of the world mm. that we live in. Yeah, the energy that's within our body. Do we yeah. know what it's like? Yeah. And I th- I don't think, I think that's, people don't realize it. Like our imagination, when we are imagining those futures, our, our brain and our body knows no difference whether that's happening right in front of us or it's happening in our, you know, mind, Absolutely. mind sight. Yeah, um, and people don't realize that because they do they play out different things and they go why am I doing that and it's kind of like this odd thing that they do like actually your body is sending the same hormones as if it were happening so if you're imagining something really stressful going yeah. you know that's what the body is living in that's what it's bathing in and you do have the choice to recognize that yeah and go yeah. oh I know what I'm doing I'm going to switch to something else mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to the present moment I'm going to breathe if I've just imagine the worst case scenario and go okay I'm going to press the brake now because that's where my mind went that's okay but I'm going to press the brake now Mm. and we can also use I think our our imaginative creativity to help ourselves because if my body is believing everything I can think some pretty lovely thoughts mind hack yeah (laughs) I can think of me like you know floating in the sea off an island in Greece like surrounded by glittering blues and the sunlight on my face and like can feel that difference already in the one at a one second holiday so like if you know if 95 percent of our anxiety comes from this future imagining then 95 percent of the the cure or the vaccine uh, mm. can also come from a lot of like good imaginative thinking just yeah. you know that we can kind of i mean that really for me is a shortcut like using my imagination to remember either remember something in the past like a beautiful color a beautiful experience, a sense of wonder. 
can remember mm. being camping and looking up at the night sky and it being like mm. a firmament of stars it's just and there were shooting stars at night oh wow I feel the wonder like the wonder in my body in this yeah. moment so like we have really good ways of using memories and we have really good ways of using our imagination but we, like our mind is pretty wild like we don't want to just let it be running around willy-nilly like, yeah like it needs a good guardian you need to be a good shepherd yeah, yeah. like and, and in fairness to it it is looking for the danger all the time but it is looking so we can stay safe yeah. but we also it's like a child looking around for the danger we also need to say you're actually okay you know you don't need to do that right now you're okay spend so time true. with something you know nourishing something beautiful go to your um, memory i remember i swam with whale sharks yeah oh my god i i feel like i i'd use this language so it's what everybody would get but i feel like i met god in that moment uh, it was just below the surface and they have these little spots and the sun was shining in and it like shimmered the whale shark and it was massive, way bigger than me, could have hit me like. And the calm I felt in that moment was just, I can't describe it. And, but going back there, just even for a second, it's a real, it's oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but not, I'm not saying everybody has whale sharks in their life, but that's one that really stands out for me. But like you, and I remember standing under the night sky when there was no lights around and going, my God, it's so vast. It's so beautiful that I felt awed by it. Uh, and it could be meeting. It doesn't have to be nature. It could be meeting like my, my friend's kids. There are moments with my friend's kids where I'm like, oh my God, I want to bottle this moment. They're just so damn cute. And the yeah, we have that. Yeah, and once we start to notice, then it it kind of has this lovely kind of upward lifting effect. Because then once we start to notice the good moments, and like I had a good moment through the week, and I was like, I'm gonna save this as one of my good moments. Like, yes, something I can replay and replay, no problem. Yes. So I notice, like we notice the good when it's happening, and then we can tap into it more effectively as well. And it's like I sometimes think of it as like little solar batteries. You know, oh, yes. bright sunshine. And then there's a day, like one of our dark winter days, it's dark when you wake up, it gets darker through the day until it's dark. And on, on days like that, like we need to know where those little batteries are and we need to keep them yeah. fully charged so that we can deliberately draw on it. Because, you know, having one day is difficult, but you don't want that to go on for a long time. It's much yeah. easier to feed ourselves as soon as we notice, like I am not in such a safe space, like emotionally or mentally. Yeah. So I can intervene a little bit just to guide myself, to remind myself that there is sunlight. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely beautiful. Okay, so how would people, if they wanted to know what services you offer, offer as a mindfulness practitioner or teacher, tell them, tell them what you offer. Okay, well, I do oodles. <laughs> so yes. a little whistle, whistle stuff to her. Yes. So it's all kind of co-created, kind, practical spaces. And it takes different forms. So I have self-paced courses that people can do online on demand. So mm -hmm. there's a course, Winterlight, which runs from now through to the first light of spring to kind oh, wow. of end the darkness and grow towards the light. And it's a lovely journey. So like one episode comes out a week. So you differ. Where is that? How do people get that? So you can go to my website and you'll see Winterlight and then it's on its own little app. So then you can do it on your phone oh, or on a an iPad nice. or on a computer. So it's all there. Yes. So there's Winterlight, there's the Calm Cafe, which again is little bite-sized 
teachings and practices to make good use of our breaks because I noticed my breaks on, you know, when I was hooked, my breaks were not nourishing me. I went yeah. back to work feeling no more energized. And there's a course called Holding Space for Anxiety. So those okay. three are all different kind of practical approaches. And then I do live courses on mindfulness and strengths, on uh, cultivating happiness, so how we can make a habit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And I do mindfulness and poetry retreats, days of mindfulness, mm -hmm. and one-to-one -one sessions for teenagers and for grown-ups. And then a course for families, and then a load of stuff for businesses as well. So all of that was kind of translated into a business environment as well. Okay. Wow. Standard You're quite trouble. busy, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Little moment. And actually, never a dull moment. You wrote a book. You wrote a book called "We Are All Flowers: A Story of Appreciating Others." Go on. I went you and have got it? it before. Good. Oh, look at that! It's so beautiful. <laughs> So what is the book about? Why did you write it? So the book is a, so it's a practice that Thich Nhat Hanh teaches called flower watering, which is a deliberate practice of appreciation to help us cultivate kind of genuine appreciation and gratitude for the humans, the animals, anyone in our life who's supportive. And so I wrote a poem, so I, for maybe the last eight years, We've had a children's mindfulness group based in Dublin where children bring a grown up in their life. So really families come, but you know, if we were friends and we had one grown up who could bring us, that was yes. all we need, one supportive grown up. And so flower watering is something we do really regularly. And I wrote, so I wrote it so that the children could teach each other because you know, the kids are quite expert. So when a new child joins, they tend to introduce the practices to each other. And this is a way of doing it without imitating me, which turns out it's a classic way to see if you go, would anyone like to introduce flower watering? And it turns into like a Saturday Night Live sketch or something. No <laughs> so actually by having a poem or being able to read something or do something, they can emulate it for themselves. So uh, yeah, so it's a practice of, of the the idea is that you know we're all flowers so if we had that in our imagination and some days we're like a springtime flower like mm -hmm. we're unstoppable the frost doesn't matter cement in the pavement doesn't matter we are coming up we got this unstoppable way it feels so good and some days like it's not so easy to be us and we feel a bit droopy mm -hmm. and so we need to know how to refresh each other and how to refresh ourselves so, so it's a very specific practice of appreciation where you think of someone who's easy peasy to love and take a moment to sense how it feels when you're close to them. And then you choose one thing about them that you really appreciate. So it can be anything. It can be like, they make the best chocolate cake. I love that. They read me a story every bedtime. I love that. They, yeah, uh, they listen to me when it's bad without trying to fix me. Love that. And then, and then we can share that with each other. So then we just you know share so it can be like your dog your cat like anyone can have their flowers watered and and again over time what it means is that we notice kind of the tribe of support around us like we notice the goodness oh, in our yes life when we still have it you know yeah so so then when we feel rubbish when we've made a big mistake or we feel like a great big loser that we actually know, because we've done it on ourselves, we know, well, I made soup yesterday, I brushed my teeth this morning, you know, I did lots of good things, and that's not nothing, you know, yes. so we can remind ourselves and remind each other of, of all the things we appreciate. So it kind of gets a much more nuanced sense of gratitude in our life and the goodness in our life. Yeah. 
fantastic and beautiful and to to introduce it to to kids so young I mean what a what a wonderful wonderful skill because Jesus you know I don't know about you but growing up these weren't things that we were thought about you know Uh, and our parents weren't you know what I mean it's not a you know we just didn't know about it and the, the fact that we have so much on offer that this book is on offer that's fantastic and um, it sounds beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So what does the future have in store for you professionally or do you think that far ahead? Is there anything you want to let people know about? Yeah, so I, I guess I'm more, I put more focus on the direction rather than the pace. Although, as mm-hmm. I said, like there's a lot going on. So the pace is, yeah. it's not luxurious. <laughs> but I think once the direction is right, the direction of travel and for me helping to build happier communities is just really close to my heart. It's what I want to do. So, you know, at the moment I, I am writing another book. I'm working on getting my own app developed. There's two new courses that I'm working on and I'm also forever learning. So um, I yeah, that feels quite... When do you sleep? <laughs> I sleep so well and so deeply. And I'm diligent about getting a good night's sleep. (laughs) Brilliant. That's a book I'd read. That's a book of boundaries and sleep. Yeah, go for that. Non-negotiable for me. A great night's sleep. So important. (laughs) Okay, so watch this space. Um, So then, okay, I will get to where people can find you. But but just before I get to that, if people wanted to learn about mindfulness, what's a book, what's a go-to book that you'd recommend on the subject? I thought about this before we talked. So because because this is particularly about healing and trauma so the book you mentioned earlier the miracle of mindfulness was the book you know 26 years ago that i picked up in the bookstore that made perfect sense and started my journey but this is the one i chose for for your reconciliation and it's it's healing the inner child and it's written by Thich Nhat Hanh and it's this and again very gentle approach of like the inner child in us or age four or age eight is still alive in every cell in my body. So, you know, she carries old hurts, old notions, old judgments, and that we can actually reawaken this profound friendship with the child in us. And what happens is when you heal something, my experience of it is when you heal something that happened when you were four, it's like, it's like a seam of gold, you know, that suffering and that judgment was played out the whole way through your life and therefore so it heals the whole way through your life so for me this sense of befriending the child in us allowing a sense of playfulness and possibility and curiosity and wonder and of of questioning kind of beliefs that we might have had like that's just the way you do it like because i think when we're four years old we develop this inner monologue voice which is like a bit of a waggle waggle voice, the way things should be. Yeah. And it's a bit half-baked because our brain is a bit half-baked. We're four, no. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we kind of, we, we've got some stuff from grown-ups and teachers and parents and we squadged it together into one waggle waggle voice. This is and how we, we like, do it. never have questioned it again. Like we're just like, yeah. that's just the way it is. I'm just lazy or, you know, I've just made yeah. a mistake again and mistakes are bad or being late is bad or whatever it is. So going back and like questioning everything we believe is so <laughs> freeing and liberating. So I love this book, Reconciliation. Going back and questioning everything we believe. That's no small feat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to it unravel might take my more than a weekend. Life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a weekend dream. <laughs> Just pause everything there for a moment, yeah. 
<laughs> okay, fantastic. Okay, so reconciliation. Okay, beautiful. Okay, so then if people want to get in touch, where can they find you? I'm going to put all the details in the post so that they can find you, but where's the best place that? Um... So the kind of one-stop shop is that every Sunday morning, I send out a newsletter to start Sundays with happiness, which has a little, it has a little invitation for a practice. I share resources, so guided meditations, recordings, and I share every single thing that's coming up. So it's kind of like, Fantastic. rather than kind of, going around. So I also have my website, orlosullivan.com. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, I just reawakened Pinterest. So, and Twitter. So I'm on all those, but like the newsletter is, is your easiest A place to, to yeah. find out the news and what's coming up. Okay. And you're also on Insight Timer, aren't you? I am. The, the meditation app. So people wanted to, to use, because uh, I know I recommend it to a lot of people. And if they yeah. wanted to find you on that, they can find you on that. And yeah. on your website, you have resources, you have meditations, you have poems, you have, you know, all, all and the link to your book as well. If people wanted to get the book, can they get it on your website or is it? Yeah. And actually on my website, so it's linked under resources. We are all flowers. And yeah. there's also a reading of the book. There are uh, resource packs for teachers that you can download for free. There's coloring oh, pages for families. So there's oodles of ways to help you do flower watering together as a family or as another group, as a classroom, girl guides. So yes, there's loads. And actually I'm on YouTube as well. So my YouTube channel is the way a lot of people practice with me. Um, okay. So there are ample ways and means. <laughs> And YouTube, is that just Orlo Sullivan? Yes, I think it's called Orlo Sullivan Mindfulness, maybe. Okay, so, I tell you, we'll have a chat after this and I'll make sure that I have everything and so uh, we'll put it up on it. Orlo, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Uh, I think, you know, if people aren't running out looking for, for books on mindfulness and having their cup of coffee in peace after this, I don't know what, I don't know what they'll, uh, what's going to come of us. Uh, thank you. Thank you oh. so much. Thank you so much. I feel like I've had a really nourishing breakfast together. I feel really yeah. heartwarmed and yeah, inspired. So thank you so much for all that you do, Claudia. Thank you. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening.